0: Amen. All right, well, we're there in First Corinthians chapter 9, and I uh, just want to say again thank you to everyone uh, who was who's praying for us as we were traveling, and uh, we're glad to be back. We had a great trip. Uh, we flew into San Antonio on Tuesday, and uh, then we were there for a couple of days. I preached there at, at Old Pass on Thursday night, and on Thursday night, or on, on Thursday, we started noticing that at every gas station there was about... 30, 40 cars, and we're like, what's going on? And they actually, I don't know if you followed the news, but they ran out of gas in Texas uh, because of the hurricane and all of that. And uh, we had a problem because I was preaching at Old Pats in San Antonio on Thursday, and then I was supposed to preach at uh, Steadfast in Fort Worth on Friday, which is about four hours away, and we need to just make sure we had enough gas to get there. And uh, so about 1 in the morning, we were at a gas station, and it took about an hour, but we finally got in there and, and got some gas, and the Lord took care of us in that way. And I uh, had a great meeting, and uh, so I appreciate your prayers. So we were we was a little bit of a scare there with the gas situation. and I don't know if we're going to have to end up living in Texas or something, but uh, it was good. We had we had a good time. At, at the Steadfast uh, meeting, there was about 140 people there for the marathon and there's people there from canada and from pennsylvania from new jersey all over texas they had a great turnout so we appreciate your prayers in regards to uh all of that we're there in first corinthians chapter nine and uh, we've been going through a uh series on sunday nights entitled uh the victorious christian life we're learning principles about how to win in the christian life and how to succeed In the Christian life, and if you remember when we started this series uh, a couple weeks ago, I started with a sermon entitled Destined for Victory, and we're looking at our position in Christ and how God has already given us a victory through our position. We've already uh, been uh, predestined to walk uh, in in victory, and uh, that doesn't mean that we're all going to walk in victory, but if we don't walk in victory, it's because of our own uh, failure because God has already given us a victory. And we talked about that. Last week, we looked at this idea of defining victory. What does it mean uh, to, to, to win at life? And we looked at the words of the Apostle Paul. Tonight, of course, we'll be looking at some of the words of the Apostle Paul as well. But where he talked about being ready to be offered, to depart, and how he was ready for that, and how we can get ready for that day of judgment as well. Tonight, I want to uh, speak to you just for a few moments on the subject of discipline for victory. And where the goal or where the idea of of discipline comes in, in the victorious Christian life. We're going to be here in 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, That's our passage for tonight. But I'd like you to just real quickly uh, go with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 14. And look at verse number 25, Luke chapter number 14 and verse number 25, Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. I'd like you to notice what the Bible says here. These are well-known verses. You've seen them before, but let's look at them again together. Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. The Bible says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, notice what Jesus says, If any man come unto me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also. We've dealt with that not too long ago, so I'm not going to comment on those phrases. He said, but I want you to notice this, this the last phrase of that verse. says, He cannot be my disciple. And what I want you to understand is that when you get saved, it is not a given that you will be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You may be saved and not a disciple. Because there are certain things that will disqualify you from discipleship. He says, he cannot be my disciple. Notice verse 27. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me. Notice what he says. Cannot be my disciple. The word disciple comes from this idea of discipline. The dictionary defines discipline as behavior that is maintained by training and control. And if you and I are going to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to have to learn to live a disciplined life and that's what the apostle paul is talking about here in this passage in first corinthians 9 look down at verse number 24 that's what we'll begin for tonight first corinthians 9 and verse 24 and i could write down several statements of course i always try to give you some notes and hopefully you take down some notes and you don't just throw them away on the way out hopefully you're saving them somewhere put them in your bible put them in a folder review them later you can use them to confirm and uh, exhort to continue your converts in the faith, right? First Corinthians 9, 24, I want you to notice, I'd like you to write down this statement if you're taking notes tonight, if you don't have a baby on your lap or something like that. As we talk about this idea of discipline, I'd like you to notice, first of all, the prize of discipline, the prize of discipline. Notice what Paul says about discipline in verse 24. He says, no, you're not. And Paul... Paul is a lot like Brother Stuckey, you know, he uses a lot of sports analogies. You ever notice Brother Stuckey uses a lot of sports analogies? He's a real sportsy guy. That's how the Apostle Paul was. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. He says, So run that ye may obtain. He uses this analogy of a race. Later on here, he's going to use another analogy of, of, of like boxing and fighting. And he says, know ye not that they which run in a race run all? He said, he said when people run in a race, they're all running. He said, they're, they're all involved, but one receiveth the price. And then he says this, so run that ye may obtain. He, here's what he's telling you. He's saying, if you're going to run in the race of the Christian life, he said, don't run just to run. He says, run to win, he says, "Run that ye may obtain." Notice verse twenty-five. And every man that striveth for the mastery—the word "striveth" there—he's referring to, to to striving or to um, uh, you know uh, exhorting. He says, "Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things." Now they do it to obtain. Notice the prize. He says they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. He says, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And here's what he's saying. Athletes get up early. Athletes work hard. Athletes. If you, if you started studying the lives of, and I'm not endorsing any of these people, but if you started studying the lives of people like Kobe Bryant, like Michael Jordan, like, uh, you know, all of these famous, uh, uh, you know, football players and basketball players and golfers or whatever, you know what you're going to notice is that they live very disciplined lives. And they do that because they have a goal in mind there is a prize, there is a World Cup, or there is a World Series, or there is a Super Bowl, or there is something that they are attempting to win, something they're trying to get at. And the Apostle Paul here is telling the church at Corinth, they're saying, you ought to live a disciplined life in the same way that athletes do, because you have a prize. He says, he says if you're going to run, run that ye may obtain. And then he says, they do it to receive a corruptible crown. And and here he's referring to the Olympic athletes of the Greeks back at the time when Paul was living and how they would receive a crown when they would win a race or how they would receive a crown when they would win an event. And he says, but their crown is going to fade away. Their crown is a corruptible. He says, we run that we may receive an incorruptible crown. Keep your place there in 1 Corinthians 9. That's our text for tonight. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Let me show you a couple of things. I want you to understand, you say, what's the prize of discipline? Why, why be motivated for, uh, to live a disciplined life? What, what is the prize that we're going to receive? Well, I want you to notice there's a couple of prizes that I want to highlight for you. One of the prizes is a physical reward itself, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We saw these verses not too long ago. If you remember, 1 Corinthians 3 is dealing with the judgment seat of Christ. This is where believers... There are two judgments that are mentioned in Scripture, one for believers, one for unbelievers. Believers will not stand at what Revelation calls the great white throne. That's where people are judged and they will be cast into hell. You and I will never stand at that judgment, but we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And this is where we will be rewarded for the works that we have done in our lives. First Corinthians three, notice verse number six. Notice what the apostle Paul says. First Corinthians three and verse six. He says, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he that planted anything, uh, plant, he that planted anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. And every man, notice what it says, shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. Look down at verse number 12, same chapter, just skip down for sake of, of time. Notice verse 12. Now, if any man built upon this foundation, now he's, he's kind of uh, changing, he, he, he's talking about the, the things that we build in life, and he says, now if any man built upon this foundation, and he uses illustration, gold, silver, precious stone, and then he says this, wood, hay, stubble, he says, every man's work, listen to me, If you are saved tonight, you will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. You will have to go through this judgment. And he's not going to bring up your sins, and he's not going to bring up your past, but he is going to bring up your works. Notice verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. The word manifest means it'll be obvious. We will see it we will be able to see it. He says, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it, the day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, because it shall be revealed, notice, by fire. Now look, I'm not sure if this is figurative speech or if this literally is going to happen. I don't see why God couldn't literally do it. God can do whatever he wants. But the idea that he's saying here is that God is going to take all of the works that you do in your life, everything that you invest yourself into, everything that you give yourself to, everything that you work hard at, he's going to take those things. And some of those things are going to be, like he says here, gold, silver, precious stones those are the things that have eternal value that's when you see when you do anything and it has eternal value associated to it god looks as that at gold silver and precious stone when you go out and knock on the door and preach the gospel to someone that's gold silver and precious stone but you know i also believe when you show up and clean a building so that someone could come here and hear the gospel preached and their marriage can be helped and their children can be helped and they, maybe they get saved here or they begin to grow here. I believe that God will reward you for that work that you are doing and it is gold, silver, precious stone. But you know, there are lots of things that we do in life that God says, they're not bad things. They're not sinful things. They just have no value. As, you know, you, you're 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 in a bowling league. You, you organize, you know, people today, they want to organize, you know, we're going to go plant trees somewhere. Now look, there's nothing wrong with trees, I like trees. But you know, trees have no, there's no eternal value there. And God says, well that's great, I'll take all of that. And, and that's wood, hay, and stubble. None of this is sinful, it's just what we invest our lives into. Notice verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 14. If any man's work abide, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort. Notice the word sort, meaning what kind it is. So he's going to take all your work. Some of it's going to be gold, silver, precious stone. Some of it's going to be wood, hay, stubble, and he's going to throw it into the fire. And the fire is going to determine what type of sort it was. Now look, when you throw wood and hay and stubble into a fire, what's going to happen? It's going to burn up. When you put gold, silver, and precious stones into a fire, what's going to happen? Nothing. It's going to get refined, if anything. It's going to get, notice verse 14. If any man's work abide... Which which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. See, here's what he's saying: You're only going to get rewarded for the things that have eternal value. So I'm going to take all of the works you've ever done, and some of them are going to have eternal value. Some of them are going to be temporal. They're not bad. They just they got no eternal value. I'm glad you organized that bowling league and I'm glad you went out and planted those trees and I'm glad you did that, you know, toys for the deployed children or the children of deployed, uh, you know, active duty members. Nothing wrong with any of that, but there's just no eternal value there. And he says, I'm going to throw that in the fire and whatever's left over, that's what you will get rewarded for. Notice verse 15. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. He said, here's what he's saying. There's some Christians that when they get to the judgment seat of Christ, God's going to get all their works together, but all of it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. None of it's going to be gold, silver, bread, and And by the way, let me say this. I also believe, and I believe the Bible teaches this, and I won't get on that right now, but I also believe that you can do if you do spiritual things with the wrong motives, if you do spiritual things to be seen of men, God says, that's wood, hay, and stubble. That's going to get burnt up. 'Cause you already got your reward. Didn't he say that? You already got your reward here on this earth if you did it for the sake of being seen of men. But here's what I want you to notice. And and this is what doesn't make sense for the people that think, oh well, you gotta live a good life. If you're saved. You know, a lot of fellow Baptists will say, well, we don't believe in work salvation, but we believe if you get saved, there will be works. Well, you've got a problem with First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 15, because according to the Holy Word of God, there is a possibility that there's any man's work shall be burned. He shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved. Yes, so as by fire. So here the Bible tells us that there's, there's a possibility of someone being saved and having no works. Everything got burnt up. They did nothing that was of eternal value. But look, he himself shall be saved. They're still in heaven. But it says, yes, so as by fire. It says you you get nothing. You did nothing. You say, what is the point of living a disciplined life? Well, look, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get to heaven and stand there at the judgment seat of Christ. And God literally say, your life was a waste. There's nothing that you did that had any eternal value. God God is saying, there's nothing that you did that I cared about. There's nothing that you did that I was interested in. There's nothing that you did that, that, that I told you to do. You may have done a whole lot of nice things. You may have done a whole lot of good things. You may have done a, you know, you gave out turkeys during Thanksgiving, and you gave out gifts during Christmas, and you did all sorts of things. But listen to me, you and I have to live a disciplined life because of the fact that there is a prize. What is that prize? Well, first of all, there's a physical reward. We will literally receive crowns in heaven. We, we, we will receive that incorruptible crown, which is why Paul said, I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. He says, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. I kept the faith. Therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day. So there's actually a prize. There's actually a reward. There's actually a day of judgment. But let me say this. Not only is there a reward with the judgment seat, but the prize is actually Jesus Christ himself. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and look at verse number 9 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9 2 Corinthians 5, 9, notice what the Bible said. you say because here, here's what, you preach like this and the, all, the real lazy ultra spirituals, you know, there's what they say, well I don't want to do things for a reward you're just motivated because you want to get a reward, okay well listen to me, ultra spiritual here's, here's a good spiritual reason for you I don't know about you, but look, if I'm going to play a game, I want to win. If I'm going to run, I don't, I'm, I'm not just out for a jog. I want to try to win. That's why I don't run with Brother Stucky because he always wins. You know, I try to run with Brother Oliver. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Brother Oliver's faster than I am, too. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 9. Notice what it says. Wherefore, we labor. Notice what he says. 1 Corinthians 5, 9. Wherefore, we labor, that whether present or absent, notice what it says, We may be accepted of him. For we must all appear. Notice the context. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You say the judgment seat of Christ is about rewards, but it's more than rewards. It's about, notice, it's about being accepted of him. It's about it's about being at measure of the fact that you actually love Jesus, that you actually worked for Jesus, that you actually did the things that Jesus asked you to do, and it allows Jesus to be able to say, I accept you i am proud of you i am glad that you were on my side i am glad that you were in my team go to the book of matthew matthew chapter 5 just real quickly matthew chapter 5 i know you've seen these verses matthew 5 i'm sorry matthew 25 excuse me matthew chapter 25 and look at verse number 21 matthew chapter 25 i know you know this but i just want you to note it no understand it's not just about reward and not just about a crown it's about being accepted of him It's about Him giving us His acceptance. Matthew 25 and verse 21, the Bible says, His Lord said unto him, You know these words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Look, this is referring to the judgment seat of Christ. Look, you think if if, if God puts all your works in the fire, and it all gets burned up? You think he's, you know, Jesus is not like the public school system. where there, You know, it's not no child left behind, and no matter how you did, it's a good job. Look, if he, if he puts your, your works in the fire, and it all gets burned up, it's going to just be this awkward silence. You know, Jesus is going to be, like, shifting his eyes, like, just go. just Next. You know, but when he puts your works there and it's burnt up, and, and what's left over is this great, and he can reward you. You know what he's going to say? He's going to say, "Well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou has been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things." That's the millennial reign of Christ. We're going to rule and reign with Christ. And it is dependent, it is based on how well you do at the judgment seat of Christ. Here's what I'm trying to help you. You say, why why live a disciplined life? Here's why you should live a disciplined life. Because there's a prize at the end of the race. Because there's judgment. Notice verse 23. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Go Go to Revelation. Revelation chapter number 22. Revelation, just real quickly, Revelation, last book in the Bible, should be fairly easy to find. Revelation chapter 22, look at verse number 12. Revelation 22 and verse 12, notice what Jesus said. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, Revelation twenty-two twelve. 12. See, Jesus, cares, you say, I don't care about rewards, but you know who does care about the rewards? Jesus does. because right. so Notice what he says, Revelation twenty-two twelve. 12. And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me. And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his notice work shall be. Do you see how consistent the Bible is? You say, why work? Why be disciplined? Why, why, why give ourselves to, to, to the ministry? Go back to 1 Corinthians 9. You say, why do that? Well, first of all, because there's a prize. You say, what's the prize? The prize is a reward. It's the actual rewards that we will receive in heaven. But there's also the reward of Christ himself, being accepted of Christ, having his acceptance on our life, where he would say, well done, well done. There's a prize. That's why the apostle Paul said, he said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He said, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And by the way, that's good advice for some of you. Some of you just constantly just beating yourself up about the past, and I did this, and I did that. You know what, Paul? Paul persecuted the church of God. The Bible says he he havoced the church of God. But you know what he said? He said, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth to to those things which are before. He said, I press toward the mark. Why? For the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. See, he understood the idea that the Christian life is a race and there is a prize to be obtained. So you say, why, why live a disciplined life? Well, because of the prize of discipline. But secondly tonight, go back to verse Corinthians 9. Not only is there the prize of discipline, but I'd like you to notice what Paul teaches in this passage. There's a prize of discipline and then there's a practice of discipline. What does discipline look like? Notice 1 Corinthians 9, look at verse 25. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 25. Notice what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 9, 25. Every man that striveth for the mastery, for the mastery, is temperate. See that word temperate? Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. Next week we're going to be talking about denying self and being filled with the Holy Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit, the Bible says, the Bible says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. When you are living in your life, walking in the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, denying self, and that's what we'll talk about next week, denying self for victory. But when you're living that life, you will learn to walk in this idea of being temperate. You say, what what does the word temperate mean? It simply means this, self-control. Self-control. Notice, notice what he says, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. He says, Know ye not that they which run and race for an all, but one receive the prize, so run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery, every man that's exhorting himself because he wants to win, because he wants to get the mastery, notice, is temperate in all things. See, th- these Olympic athletes, when they're training to run or swim or whatever it might be, look, they are, they are exercised a lot of self-control. They've got to get a certain amount of sleep. they got to get up at a certain time. And they got to go to bed at a certain time. And they got to get a certain amount of workout in. And they're, they're, not, they're not going to stop and get a Kit Kat. They're not stopping at In-N-Out for a milkshake. You say, why? Because they're temperate in all things. They're self controlled in all things. Why? Because they're striving for the mastery. And look, I, I, I'm not preaching about exercise, although that's great. You know, bodily exercise profits little, the Bible says, but, you know, it profits something. And I'm not down on that, but I just want you to understand if they will do it, if they will do it for a pigskin, why would you and I not live a disciplined life for the glory of God? For, for for the for the corrupt the incorruptible crown that he will give. Notice he, he says, Know you not that they will turn and race run all, but one receive the price, so run that you may obtain verse twenty-five. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, is self-controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. He said, I'm not I'm not running and I just kind of don't know where I'm going. He said, I got a goal, I press toward the mark. He says, he says, I therefore run not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. He said, I don't, I don't do that. What do they call that when you're just kind of going like, is that shadow boxing? Is that what I call? Paul's saying, I don't do shadow boxing. I like Paul. He says, if I'm gonna throw a punch, I wanna hit somebody. He, he says, he says, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 27. Notice what he says. Here's the practice of discipline. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. You say, what does it mean to live a disciplined life? Well, discipline is self-control. Discipline is the behavior that is maintained by training and self-control. Here's what he's saying. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Here's what the Apostle Paul is literally saying. He's saying, I, my flesh doesn't want to get up and read the Bible, but I make it. My, my flesh doesn't want to get on my knees and pray to God, but I force it to. My, my flesh maybe doesn't want to go to church on a Sunday night, but I, I just bring it into subjection and I make it do what I tell it to do. You say, why would you do that, Paul? Because there's a prize at the end. Because I want to win. Because I want to obtain the prize. Because I want to get it. Look, he's saying there's a practice for discipline. You say, how do I develop discipline? You develop discipline by bringing your body into subjection. And by the way, this doesn't just work for spirituality. This works for any area of your life. You want to succeed financially? Learn to control your spending. You want to succeed with health? Learn to control your eating. You want, whatever area you want to succeed in life, there's one key to success. It's discipline. It's being self-controlled. It's being temperate. And look, in the Christian life, there are certain areas that I think they're basic areas, but I think there are certain areas that you have to learn to develop some discipline in your life. Let me share a few of those with you tonight. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4. When you get to 1 Timothy, do me a favor and put a ribbon or a bookmark there or something. We're going to leave 1 Timothy, but we're going to come back in that direction. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And the first area that you need to strive to develop discipline in, I'm speaking spiritually now, is in the area of daily Bible reading. In the area of daily Bible reading. First Timothy chapter number 4 and verse 13, the Bible says this, and put a ribbon there, we're going to come back in that area. First Timothy 4, 13, the Bible says, till I come, give attendance. Is that what attendance? It means to give attention to. It means to, 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 to serve, to, to, to give time to. Till I come, give attendance, notice what he says, to reading. To exhortation, to doctrine, the Bible tells us that we are to have a discipline where we give ourselves to daily Bible reading, go to the book of Acts, I know you know these verses, but let's just look at them together, Acts chapter number 17, Acts chapter number 17, and let me say this, and let me be very clear, if you're here tonight and you do not have a daily discipline of Bible reading, I love you and I'm not mad at you, I'm trying to help you out right now. But if you're here tonight and you do not have, you do not have a daily discipline of Bible reading, just mark it down. Remember this ugly face and that I said it. You will not succeed in the Christian life. You will fail. Anyone who does not discipline themselves for daily Bible reading will not make it. Just mark it down. It is that important because it is the equivalent of feeding your spirit. And if you're not feeding yourself physically, you know what happens? You die. And some of you are in spiritual life support because the only Bible you ever get is on Sunday morning and on Sunday night and on Wednesday night. And when Pastor Jimenez is preaching the Bible to you, you think that's good enough. Try that physically. Try to spend all week long going just three meals. See how well you do. See how healthy you are. See how strong you are. You've got to develop a discipline of Bible reading. Acts 17, verse number 11. You know the verses. Let's look at it. Acts 17, verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They were listening to the preaching. But the Bible says, And search the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Notice these people were searching the scriptures, not weekly, not monthly, but daily. And I'm here to tell you, if you're going to make it in the Christian life, you at least, at the very least, there are many disciplines that you can develop, like fasting and giving and all sorts of things. But listen to me, you at least have to develop the daily discipline of Bible reading. And I would encourage you to do it first thing in the morning. The first thing that you do when you get up out to be, to spend time, in the Word of God. Go, go, to, uh, go to First Thessalonians if you kept, kept your place. Actually, I'm sorry, not First Thessalonians. Go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10 in, in, your, in your New Testament. You know, one of the sweetest times that I have in my, in, my, in my day is my wife and I, every morning we get up before the children get up, which makes it already sweet right there. But we, we get up before the children get up and, and, and she makes coffee and, you know, whatever we're eating that morning, yogurt or whatever it might be. And we just sit there. We don't even, we don't even barely even talk to each other. We just sit there and spend about an hour just reading the Bible and just, just starting your day off that way. And just, I would encourage you, you need to, and I'm not saying, you know, maybe that doesn't work for you. You can't get up at that time or you've got things. But I would encourage you to make sure that you discipline yourself, that you set a place and you set a time and you begin to work out a routine where you are daily disciplining your life to be in the Bible. You will not survive if you're not daily reading your Bible. The second discipline that I would like you to notice is the discipline of prayer. And, I, and I'm not gonna have you turn there, you know the verse. First Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. God tells us that we ought to pray without stopping. You you and I need to develop a life of 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 prayer. And, and let me say this if you're not reading your Bible every day, you will not make it the Christian life. If you're not praying every day, I will say this, you will make it in the Christian life as far as you can make it to the end, but you will not have a successful Christian life. Because you're not tapping in into the power of God. You have to read every day to just, just to make it in the Christian life. But you have to pray every day if you want to live with the power of God upon your life. We have to connect with God and we have to involve God in our life. And if you don't have a daily discipline of prayer, if you don't have a daily discipline of spending time with God in prayer, I want to encourage you to develop that discipline. You, these are just basic, but they're must. You must read the bible every day. You must develop a discipline of, of prayer. Here's another one. Hebrews 10:25. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. I know you know this one and we're going to come back to Hebrews if you want to put something there, that'd be a good idea. Hebrews 10:25. The bible says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. The word manner means custom or habit. Some people have a custom or a habit of forsaking the assembling And God says, don't be that way. Don't be the person, and you can apply this however you want. Don't be the person that's just constantly quitting churches. You're just a church. You know, you're just going there and going there. God says, don't do that. But then he says, don't just be the person that's constantly skipping out on church. Because people, I'll preach this uh, passage, and people say to me like, that's not about church attendance. That's about quitting church. But here's the thing. How can you have a manner of quitting church? You know, once you quit it, you're gone. So I think it's right to apply this to people who are just constantly skipping out on church. For any excuse, any reason, you know, I'm not going to make it this Sunday. You know, there's people like that on church now where they'll go weeks without coming to church. Hey, God is not for that. The Bible says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Some people will say to me, well, do you really think you need a Sunday night service? because you know, the new fad is to get rid of your Sunday night service. You really think you need a Sunday night? You really think you need a Wednesday night? You really think you need a Sunday morning? But you know what the Bible says? So much the more. You know, the closer we get to the day that's approaching, the judgment of God. You need more church, not less. You need more encouragement, not less. You need more Bible. So look, I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. Develop, and I, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You're here on a Sunday night, but you got to develop a discipline. You got to develop a discipline of just being in the house of God. When I was growing up, the rule was if the doors were open of the church house, we were going to be there. Sunday morning, we we're going to be there. Sunday night, we we're going to be there. Wednesday night, we we're going to be there. And if there was special revivals, we were going to be there. And you know, I grew up in a Spanish church. Spanish church is like, you know, you guys are all, uh, you know, you're you're uh, you're blessed. You got to praise the Lord every day that you come to Verity Baptist Church. You know, you go to Spanish church and it's like the service is like twice as long. And when they have revivals, it's like seven days or something. It's like 14 days, something crazy like that. You know, but, you know, we just had a rule in our house. We never thought, are we going to go to that event? If there's an event at church, we were going to be there. If there's something going on at church, we were going to be there. And if we weren't there, it's because, you know, the providence of God did not allow us. We were sick or something like that. But look, you need to develop a discipline of just being in the house of God. Don't, and don't be that guy or that gal that's just always sick. You know, you're always sick. You always have a reason. You know, something I want to tell people, because we're people like, oh, we're not going to make it. We're not feeling well. And I, I think some people don't understand, like, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know that I ever feel well. I didn't feel well this morning. You know what would have felt good this morning? To just sleep in. You say, why do you come to church? Because it's a habit. You know, oh, you came to church because you're a pastor. I, used, I came Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for years and years and years and years before I was ever a pastor. And look, you know, at our house, we, we would miss school before we missed church, we'd miss work before we missed church. Man. Because church was a priority. Because in all things, he should have the preeminence. I just want to encourage you. You need to develop a discipline of Bible reading. You need to develop a discipline of prayer. You need to develop a discipline of church. And let me say this. You will not make it. You will not make it in the Christian life if you are not reading the Bible every day. And you will not succeed in the Christian life if you are not praying every day. But let me tell you this. You're not even in the Christian life if you're not going to church. And I'm saying that for all the online listeners. If, you just, if your church is live stream, you're not even in the fight. Amen. You're not even in the race. You didn't even make it to the practice. You didn't, you're didn't. you not on the team. You're not even on the bench. I mean, you're just not even there. They, you never got a jersey. You got cut. Look, because it, you, you just got to be in church to even just be in the Christian walk. To be in the race, you got to be part of church. This God, Jesus said that he built the church and he died for the church and he's the head of the church. You're not at church. You're not even in the game. So look, you got to be in church to be in the game. And you got to be reading the Bible every day to finish the game. And you got to be praying if you're going to succeed in the game. Amen. Let me give you another one. Go, go. Uh, well, actually, go to Acts chapter 20, just real quickly. Acts chapter 20, look at verse 18. The Apostle Paul, I think we would all agree that the Apostle Paul is a very successful Christian. He's the one that we talked about last week. He got to the end of his life and said, I'm ready. Acts chapter 20 and verse 18, notice what the Bible says. And when they were come to him, he said unto them. Acts chapter 20 and verse 18. Notice what Paul said. You know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner? You see that word manner? He's saying, what type, what custom, what habits I had. He said, you know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Why don't you notice that his emphasis was, I have been with you at all seasons. And by by the way, that includes football season and baseball season and any other season. We used to have a guy that came to our church and it was like, he was coming to church Sunday mornings every week. And then it was, this, it was this big announcement like, you will not see me for the next three months because football season's starting. So I got to go worship my idol, you know. And it's just like, is your life that pathetic that you just give yourself? I mean, that listen, that is a corruptible crown. That is wood, hay, and stubble. That, that might not even be wood, hay, and stubble. That might not even make it on the list, all right. But Paul said, look, you know the manner of, of, of life that I led he said, I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying of the weight of the Jews. So there's that connection to church. I want to encourage you to have a discipline of faithfulness to the house of God. But let me give you another one. you got to have a discipline of soul winning. Notice verse 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I've showed you and I've taught you publicly, and from house to house. Paul said, not only was I always with you at all seasons, but he said, I was also out there preaching publicly and from house to house. Go to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Look at verse 42. Acts chapter 5 and verse 42. Acts 5.42. Acts 5.42. The Bible says this, and daily, and daily in the temple. Acts 5.42. Acts 5.42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Why don't you notice that word daily? I don't believe the Bible is teaching here that you and I have to let necessarily go soul winning daily, although there's nothing wrong with that. But I think as a church, we should attempt to be out soul winning daily. Because he says in daily in the temple and in every house, notice they, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. And you know, and by the way, you don't have to do soul winning at a soul winning time. Just sometimes you get those divine appointments where you get the opportunity to preach the gospel to somebody, you should take it. But I want to encourage you you need to be a soul winner. You need to pick a time Saturday morning, 10 a.m. That's my soul winning time. Maybe Saturday doesn't work for you. Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. You know, Thursday at 2, whatever it might be. Maybe those times don't work. Talk to us. We'll try to set up a time that works for your schedule. We'll try to get you a partner. But look, you need to develop a weekly discipline of soul winning. And I believe that weekly is the right number. Because if you watch the Apostle Paul, you'll notice the Bible says that he went out every Sabbath day. He went out three Sabbath days. He wasn't into once a month soul winning. And I look, I think in your life, you need to have a daily discipline of reading your Bible. You need to have a daily discipline of prayer. You need to have a, a, a discipline of church attendance. You need to have a discipline of soul winning. You, need, you say, well, I, sometimes it's hard. And sometimes I don't want to go. And sometimes my flesh, you know, is weak. But look, an athlete doesn't always want to go out and exercise and doesn't always want to say no to the soda, doesn't always want to do those things. But they make themselves. They control themselves they bring themselves under subjection because they've got a goal because they've got a prize so tonight we saw the prize of discipline and we saw the practice of discipline that we must live temperate lives and we must bring our he says but I keep my body I bring it into subjection look you and I need to learn to tell our bodies what what we're going to do tell our flesh what we're going to do and not have our flesh tell us what we're going to do and look whatever area of life Tell your flesh what, you tell your flesh what you're going to eat. You tell your flesh where you're going to go. You tell your flesh what you're going to look at. Because he says, look, you must practice discipline. So we saw the, uh, the prize of discipline. We saw the practice of discipline. Let me, let me give you the last one tonight. Go, go back to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9. And, and I would say this. There's many disciplines, but at the very least, you've got to be reading your Bible. At the very least, you've got to be praying. At the very least, you've got to be going to church. At the very least, you've got to be soul winning. You need to be doing those things. 1 Corinthians 9, look at verse 27. We saw the prize of discipline. We saw the practice of discipline. Let me give you the last one tonight. Point number three is the product of discipline. The product of discipline. You say, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? Look at verse 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means. Notice what he says. So he says, "I, I, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. That's the practice of discipline. Here's the product. Lest that by any means. When I, here's what Paul says, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You you say, Paul, what is it you're trying to accomplish? Here's what Paul's trying to accomplish. I'm trying to not be someone who was in the race and now is a castaway. Who was in the race and now is not in the race. Now is not serving God. Now is not working for God. Go to Galatians chapter 5. If you're there in Corinthians, you got 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. Galatians chapter number 5. And look, in your life, you need to determine. Say, why live a disciplined life? So that you're not that guy. So you're not that lady. That you, you were a soul winner. You were faithful. You were in the fight. You were in the race. But you're not anymore. Paul says, I don't want to be a castaway. Paul says, I want to finish. I want to get to the, And praise the Lord that Paul did finish. Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 7. Galatians 5, 7. Notice what the Bible says. Galatians 5, 7. Here, Paul is speaking to the church at Galatia. Notice what he says. Notice the terminology. It's it's similar to what we've been talking about. He says, Ye did run well. Let it never be said of you, Ye did run well. You used to go soul winning. You used to be faithful. You used to read the Bible. He says, Ye did run well. And then he says this, Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? Look, you need to be careful about allowing people to influence you or hinder you so that you're no longer running the race. It's funny to me how people will come to this church not knowing people, and then they'll allow people to influence them to go do something else. And it's like, you met them here. And now you're going to go follow them? You know, who did hinder you? You should not obey the truth. You did run well. And look, Paul is saying... I live a disciplined life. I bring my body under subjection. I force myself to do things that I don't want to do. I pray when I don't want to pray. I read when I don't want to read. I memorize when I don't want to memorize. I go soul winning. People say, well, I just don't feel like going soul winning. And I think to myself, I never feel like going soul winning. You know when I feel, I'm just confessing your faults one to another. You know when Pastor Jimenez feels like going soul winning? Right after I get somebody saved. Right after I get somebody saved, I'm like, praise the Lord, let's go soul winning. From the moment my alarm clock goes off until the person gets saved, I'm like, man, I don't want to go soul winning. Because, look, I'd much rather be at the donut shop than out soul winning. I'd much rather be in my warm bed than out soul winning. I say, Pastor, you're, you're not spiritual. No, look, I'm just telling you. You say, why? But, but I go soul winning every week. You say, why? Because I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection. Like that body means when I preach to others, I myself should be a cast away. I, I don't ever want to read the Bible. I got a whole bookshelf of books I'd like to read. You say, But, but I always make sure I read the Bible. You say, why? Because I don't want to be a castaway? Because when I have preached to others, I don't want to be a castaway? I don't want to quit and, and, and mess up and, and be a failure? I don't want somebody to look at my life and say, you did run well. You did do a good job. Man, when you were out there, you were doing it. who did hinder you? You should not obey the truth. Paul says, look, The product is a fact that we end well, that we finish well. Go go back to Hebrews. Did you keep your place there? Go back to Hebrews chapter 12. Notice how much this comparison of running the race is brought up in scripture. Hebrews chapter 12. We're almost done. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. And obviously, you know, people sometimes will leave this church and go to other churches. That doesn't mean that they fail. Our church is not the only right church. Obviously, there's lots of great churches out there that you so sometimes people leave our church to go to other churches. That doesn't mean they failed. But if you leave this church to go sit at a coffee shop, you failed. If you leave this church to just not go to church, you're a failure. You did run well, but you were hindered. You were in the fight, but now you're a castaway. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verse number one. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Roosevelt says, Wherefore, seeing Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, you know that there's people in heaven watching you, you say, What? Well, that's what, that's what it says. You know that there's people in heaven cheering you on, you can do it, get in it, don't quit. Wherefore, seeing we also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. They said because there is such a great cloud of witnesses, and and by the way, you say that's kind of scary. Let me make it a little more scary for you. The great cloud of witnesses. He went into it in Hebrews chapter number eleven. You you know that great faith chapter, and all the people that did great things of faith. I mean, notice notice Hebrews eleven and and look at verse number. uh, Just just look at verse number thirty-three. This is the great cloud of witnesses. This is the the context. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, uh, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn aside, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, and in dens, and in caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made uh, made perfect. Here's the context. Chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing, we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Do you understand that there's people in heaven that were sought asunder, and they're down watching you, watching me, complaining about all our little we live in the freest country in the world and you know i get sick and tired of people just bad-mouthing the united states of america i understand america has problems i understand america has issues but you know what i'm glad i live in sacramento and not moscow i'm glad i live in sacramento and not iran tonight i'm glad i live in sacramento and not afghanistan or whatever other stand you want to talk about we have a lot of freedoms in this country we have the ability to preach whatever we I mean, for whatever it's worth. We still have the freedom uh, to, to preach what we want, to go where we want, to assemble, to preach the gospel. And then we sit there and complain because some protesters showed up. Because somebody gave us a false, you know, a fake lawsuit. And we're going to let that cause us to quit. And then up in heaven, they're like, wow, really? I was stoned, sawn asunder. I was, you know, these are the people that are cheering us on. And you know, they're not against us. They're cheering us. They're saying, yeah, go for it. Notice what he says. Verse 12, one. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about. with So great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. And the sin which does so easily beset us. I want you to notice the weight and the sin are two different things. The weight is not a sin. It's just something that's slowing you down. Look, some of you have weights that are slowing you down they're not bad. You just got to lay them aside. They're wood, hay, and stubble. And then of course there's sin, which does so easily beset you. You know, you, you need to identify the sins in your life that are going to cause you to quit, that are going to cause you to stumble, that are going to cause to beset you. And you need to get rid of those sins. Look, you, you, if you're going to serve the Lord and, and God will identify those sins for you and you're aware of them, but he says, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us, notice, run with patience the race that is set before us. Go to Revelation, Revelation chapter number four. We'll, we'll finish up right here. You say, Why live a temperate and disciplined life? Why force myself to do what I don't want to do? Why make myself read the Bible, make myself pray, make myself show up to church, make myself give, make myself fast, make myself go soul winning? Why? Why do it? Well, we do it because of the prize. You say, well, I don't care about the reward. Well, you know what? The reward, the reward is Christ. And, and, and you say, what, why, how do we do it? The practice. Well, you bring your body into subjection. You tell your body, uh, you know, that you're going to be in control that day. And you're going to tell your body what to do. Look, every morning you got to get up and just tell your body, "I'm in charge today, not you." Tell your flesh, "You're not running the show today." And, and and the product will be the fact that you will finish the course, you will finish the race. Revelation chapter four, look verse eleven. I want to show you two verses. We'll be done. Revelation four eleven. The Bible says, "Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power." For thou hast created all things. That's you and I. We're in that, all things. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Do you understand that you were created, I was created for the pleasure of God, to bring pleasure to God, so that God would find pleasure in us. Notice Revelation chapter number 3 and verse 14. This is the last verse we'll look, we'll look at tonight. Revelation three fourteen This is an interesting verse. I've always liked this verse. Revelation 3.14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. And of course, there's a famous passage about the lukewarm Christians. In these passages, Jesus is constantly introducing himself as different characteristics. I want you to notice what he says. He says, and unto the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, these things saith. Because, you know, as he introduces himself to these churches, he'll say, these things saith the Son of God. Who hath has his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Or he says, these things saith he that hath the sharp sword with two edges. Or these things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in the right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden councils. He, he's describing himself. And here, in verse 14, he says, And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea, he right, These things saith, notice what he says, the Amen. The Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus called himself the Amen. Now, look, we're in church. You, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with the word amen. Some of our guys say amen. Some of our ladies say amen. They're not supposed to, all right? Bible says, you know, that the women should be silent in the church, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are to be commanded to be under obedience as well also said the law. You're not, ladies, you're not supposed to be saying amen, all right? That's what the Bible teaches. But, you know, amen is a word that we say, the word amen basically means this. When someone says amen, here's what they're saying. They're saying, I am in agreement, and I give my approval. I am in agreement, and I give my approval. So pastor gets up and makes a statement and one of these guys says, amen. Here's what they're saying. I am in agreement with what he's saying and I'm giving my approval as to what he's saying. But I want you to notice that Jesus described himself as the Amen. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea Seems, right, these things say the Amen. See, here's the thing. Whether you understand it or not, or whether you realize it or not, at the end of your life, it will only only one person's agreeance and approval for your life will matter, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, you know what he's saying? He, here's what he's saying. When you get to the end of your life, when you finish the thing, when the judgment seat of Christ is over, when your works have been put in the fire, when, we, when they're manifest, when we see them, there's one person that you're going to want to agree and approve of what you did, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I want? I want God to put all my works in that fire, and I want it to burn it all up, and then when whatever's left over, I just want Jesus to look at me and say this, Amen. Amen. Jesus amening your life. These things saith the amen. Because at the end of the day, it is his approval. It is his agreeance. It is his acceptance that we want. So why live a disciplined life? Why make yourself do what you don't want to do? Why force yourself to practice discipline, to Uh, To to, to press toward that mark for the prize of the high calling of God to to, to have the product of not being a castaway, what? So at the end of the day, Jesus will say, of you and of me, Amen. Amen. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you Lord for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we study these passages, as we study these scriptures would help us to live disciplined lives would help us to understand that if we're going to live in victory if we're going to win in the Christian life we can't only rely on the fact that we're destined for victory we can't only define victory and say well here's what victory looks like then we have to live a disciplined life and work towards that and Lord, I pray that our church people here would, at the very least, at the very least, that they would go home and begin to work on the discipline of daily Bible reading. If there's someone here this, tonight that doesn't read the Bible every day, Lord, I pray that they would go home and get a Bible chart and get a bookmark and get a plan and read the Bible. And I, I know there's many here that do read their Bibles every day, but maybe they're not praying. Lord, I pray that you would help them to set up a structure to pray every day, to pray without ceasing. Lord, help us to be faithful to the house of God, to this house of God, to another great Baptist Bible teaching, preaching, soul-winning house of God. Lord, I I pray that you would help us to be faithful and soul-winning, to be out there faithfully, reaching people with the gospel of Christ. Help us to force ourselves. Help us to lay aside the weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And Lord, I pray that the group that's here tonight, that we would all be able to get to the end of our lives and just have Jesus say about our lives, amen. Amen. And Lord, we love you. Pray you to help us to live disciplined. Pray you to help us to walk in victory. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.